On 891AM, digital radio and the ABC Listen app. You're with Deb Tribe and John Lamb. Live from the Royal Adelaide Show on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Good morning. Welcome to spring. Welcome to the first September of a weekend, I should say, of the year. And welcome to the Royal Adelaide Show. John Lamb, it's great to be here in the Jubilee Pavilion, isn't it? Good morning, Deb. It's a wonderful, wonderful show. It's been, I've been told it's the best display in the Horticultural Pavilion. So uh, come down for yourself and take a look and I uh, think you'll be very, very impressed. Each year, uh, it's the same kind of areas uh, in terms of competitions, in terms of camellias and bulbs and cacti, but it's how they're put together. And it's the take-home messages that I think are very, very important. And we'll be talking about take-home messages from the show, and and in particular, climate change. And very, very shortly, we're going to talk about somebody who's very, very familiar with what's going on in terms of climate change, Darren Ray, first Saturday of the month. So we'll be talking to Darren very, very shortly. Getting the spring seasonal outlook for gardeners. I'm looking forward to that greatly. Yes, but tell us about some of the competitors, some of the people we're going to talk to. Oh, look, so many people. Of course, one of the great parts of the Royal Adelaide show in the Gorda Pavilion every year is Sophie Thompson's feature garden. This year is no different. And her garden this year is called Cool. Cool. Yep, so she'll be talking to us about the themes behind her garden and what she is, what messages she might be trying to convey to us and what we need to think about in our own gardens. I'm very much looking forward to that. And the... Adelaide Botanic Gardens are back in the Goida Pavilion. They had dipped their toe in the water last year, didn't they, John, with the uh, corpse flower display? But this year they are back in full. Yes, and if you like the the concept of the old-fashioned mass display... I think you'll be very impressed. Exactly. So we will hear from Matt Coulter, head propagator and curator at the Adelaide Botanic Gardens. All of that is coming up ahead. And then at 10 o'clock, Costa Georgiadis, the wonderful host of um, ABC TV's Gardening Australia, is going to join me here on the ABC stage. So if you've got a question for Costa doesn't necessarily have to be about gardening please come along and ask him that question so if you're coming today to the Royal Adelaide show we are on the south side of the Jubilee Pavilion we've already got some wonderful guests uh, and people sitting here enjoying the program and if you've got a talk back gardening question please make yourself known to Nick and we'll get to your questions after we speak to Darren in just a moment and if you're listening anywhere else at the moment you can call in on 1300 now you can send a text on 04679 but Steve will have to put them on the screen for me because I can't access them at the moment. So, Steve, I hope you're listening to that. Um, but Darren Ray joins us now, climatologist, with uh, us every um, first Saturday of the month. And it is the first Saturday in September, so welcome, Darren Ray. Yes, thank you. And it's, it's, it's fantastic to be here. So on the way in, you know, people waiting outside and the um, excitement was really very clear and a beautiful spring day um, and you know, to start the show. So, yeah. Can, can I say congratulations? Last week you gave a little show broadcast and you sort of said the first day of the month uh, of the show probably will be the best and it's certainly turning out that way and certainly you indicated uh, that what was going to happen in terms of weather and I think it's going to be pretty well spot on. But I think what I would like to do is focus very much on uh, uh, what 
gardeners are talking about at the moment. The Bureau are saying fairly constantly it's going to be hotter and it's going to be drier. And from a gardening point of view, they want to know how hot, how dry and for how long. So I'd like you to start with saying, righto, the Bureau are saying it, it's going to happen, but um, what does it mean to South Australia? Well, so I guess, John, I mean, the really big message out of... um you know, this time last year we were sitting here at the show and we were in the middle of La Nina conditions and wetter and cooler influences from the Indian Ocean. Um, and you know, that had been you know, the third La Nina in a, in a row. So we've just had this run of the last three years coming up to this year of relatively mild and cooler and wetter climate influences for Australia. Now, this year we're looking at something very different. We're looking at something very much the opposite. Um, and... Uh, really conditions that we haven't seen since 2015 um, when we last had an El Nino event. So we're looking at an El Nino event that's been developing in the Pacific Ocean over the last couple of months. And um, that's really developing very much as forecast. And it's looking like like it's going to be a very strong event. And it's coming on top of, since our last El Nino event, you know, seven years of extra global heating that's driven temperatures up. So we're already starting to see that in the Northern Hemisphere. So people would be very aware of, you know, fires in Canada and heatwave events, a um, um, whole range of, um, you know, records being broken. And that, so we're seeing this El Nino event sitting on top of, um, you know, that, that very steady increase in global temperatures. So, so as you mentioned before, it's a long time since we've had an El Nino. How many years did you say? Well, 2015. 2015. I can remember writing the headline story for a garden column for the advertiser and saying... Uh, after 12 days in a row of over 40 degrees temperature and uh, people were looking for a cool change at that stage. But is it likely we're going to have that kind of a summer where we could have 10 or 12 days of above 40 temperatures? Yep, very much the case. So um, so I I guess, you know, really want to... Really want to... communicate that um, we're, we're looking at something that could really start to go into new territory um, this through the, through this coming spring and summer. So, so now's the time if we're going to do something to do something now. Absolutely. Okay, and well we might come back to what can be done then. But let's drill down, though. Here it is, September, and last month you sort of said, right, oh, uh, the beginning of September uh, we might have typical spring weather, and that's what we're getting, and then it, uh, about the middle it would start to change. So walk us through September in terms of temperature and rainfall. So, um, yep, so basically what we're looking at with El Nino conditions is... Um, the atmosphere tends to sink down more over Australia and the high-pressure systems over, over us tend to reform uh, where they sit. So we tend to see more high-pressure systems sitting in the Tasman Sea and more northerly winds. And we're seeing some little hints of that just starting to emerge in the climate system over the last month or so. Um, so we're seeing that sort of thin edge of the wedge of the El Nino influence starting to come in. And that's playing out in sort of very variable conditions. Um, so, for instance, what, what we're starting at the month, starting the month with is... Uh, a little bit of a burst of tropical activity over the tropics that could feed some moisture down over us, but it's not linking up with the weather systems. So it's having a bit of a go, but look, um, but we, and we're seeing lots of cold frontal activity expected, very typical for spring, in that first week to 10 days of September. Um, so that'll make the, next, the week of the show um, a bit variable. So it's going to be a little bit on and off, but very typical for spring 
and the show. And if, as you say, if it's tropical and it links up, we could get a decent rain. Otherwise, we just yeah. get uh, spring weather. <laughs> yeah. So, but it actually looks like with that some of that El Nino influence, it's going to struggle to link up. Um, so we get we'll get a little bit of rain through the week, um, but not heaps. But really, that's it's really that first week or ten days which we're most likely to get rainfall. And then it looks like we get into um, pattern where the high pressure systems dominate, the tropics are weaken off. We get sort of clear, hot conditions for, through week two and three of September. And then it comes back in again with some, maybe a little bit of burst of colder conditions and some more rainfall in the last week of September. So rainfall, will we get average or how close to no, average? Basically, um, uh, the rainfall this year for Adelaide's actually a um, accumulated so far is actually a little bit above the average. Oh, 50, but, um, 50, 50 millimetres, I think, for September. Um, but overall for the year so far. Oh, OK. But, um, yeah, very much the tap's turned off. So um, we're looking at something probably 20, 30 millimetres, maybe 40. Ooh. So a little bit below average, uh, perhaps even half the average by the time we get to the end of the month. And at the end of the month, will we have above average temperatures? We've been cracking about one, uh, uh, one degree at least above yeah. average. Is that going to continue? Yes, the temperature pattern looks very similar for September as what it did to August. Um, so it was very warm across the interior of Australia, very much warmer than average. Um, that pattern looks very much to continue. For Adelaide, it looks like about a degree above average uh, us, through September. Take us now into or, uh, October. That could be a bit frightening. Yeah, so this is when looks looking like El Nino and the the positive the Indian Ocean dipole influence from the uh, Indian Ocean is looking like it'll really bite, and that's um, that's re- October's really peak time of influence from the uh, from the Indian Ocean, and that looks looking like it's really going to be biting, and we're looking like it's going to be quite a bit warmer than average, and not a lot of rainfall around, unfortunately. Maybe a little bit right at the start of the month, a little bit mid-month, um, but yeah, tap looks like it's El Nino's looking like looking like it's going to very much clamp down on everything. Well, average rainfall for October Adelaide is 44 millimetres. Yeah, what do you reckon? Wouldn't hold your breath on that. Um, <laughs> we might be lucky if we get 10. Oh, go on. <laughs> yeah. So, from a farming point of view, um, October is not going to be too nice. Uh, no, and that's but that's really. So as I've been talking about for quite a while, that's you know really when things really start to kick off in terms of the combination of influences. Um, and uh, it's a very similar story from then on. We're looking at um, very hot and dry spring uh, for the second half of spring. Um, so November looks very hot and dry as well. Um, we're likely to see early heatwave activity coming in through, through November. Um, and, uh, yeah, so... We've got, you know, we're really coming up against this pretty quickly. So we've got that sort of six to eight weeks to really sort out what we what, what, um, get prepared for what's what's coming. There'll be a few gardeners who want to grow their tomatoes. Now, last year, as you mentioned, last year was a nice mild year, but it wasn't until about the second week in October that the smart gardeners put in their tomatoes uh, because that's when the temperature got to 16 degrees. When will we get to 16 degrees? Uh, Will it be... uh, Will we have to wait until October? Or could that actually happen in September? It's pretty likely it happened in September this year. Um, So I ran the the very latest modelling this morning before I came in, and you know, if you look at the time difference between um, the evolution of last year's temperatures and what the models are saying for this year, it's about five, six weeks. So, um, yeah, it wouldn't be a surprise if we start hitting those. Uh, so that looking like a run of heat through the middle of September. So it wouldn't be a surprise if we really get, get quick, click over that threshold um, 
you know, sometime through the middle of September. Just as I go sideways, if you don't mind, could I suggest to those who are serious about tomatoes, put an order in for your tomatoes now, because if the temperatures are going to come in earlier, there'll be a rush for tomato seedlings, and of course the seedling producers can't just magically make them over. Uh, they could actually run out. But let's come back to uh, the forecast, Darren. Yep. Uh, so the, the October is not going to be very, very nice. And you sort of said uh, uh, November is going to be even probably hotter. Could we be getting heat waves in November? Yeah, certainly. Um, I think there's every possibility of seeing seeing runs of days in the mid 30s um, as we go through go through November. So, uh, and uh, yeah, it's um, so yeah, very different conditions to what we saw last year. So, um, so yeah, so I mean, you're, you're always talking about the shade cost, John, and getting that prepared. So that's obviously yeah, that's some of the messaging you want to be looking out for. I guess the other thing from a Possibly a really critical perspective is is um, we're very likely to see the initiation of some nasty fire, con- fire weather conditions pretty early this mm-hmm. season as things dry out. Yeah. So soil moisture levels are already a bit below average in the Adelaide region, um, and so you know once we start moving through October, November, things will dry out very quickly, and um, yeah, that does set things up for um, yeah starting to see some nasty fire weather days uh, pretty early in the season. So September, October, November. Let's dare we go into summer with uh, December and January, February, March. Is it going to continue right through, and is it going to be as hot right through? Yeah. So the so the the, the models are basically picking everything being sort of one to two degrees above average right through from October, November, December, January, February. Um, pretty worryingly, in in the modelling across Australia. There's in February, March, there's so you know, this evolution of hotter, drier conditions through summer is looking pretty clear. Um, and it looks like it strengthens even further at the end of summer in February, March, um, late summer into early autumn. So there's some pretty worrying, um, I mean, there's already some unusually warm heat building up in northwest Australia, uh, northwestern Australia, so the top of WA. Mm. Um, that looks like it could become pretty frightening um, the end of February uh, in February March. Could it be as bad as they've experienced in the United States and and Europe? That, those kind of temperatures, and of course they had the hurricane type winds. I presume I would like yeah. to hope that we're not going to have those kind of winds. Yeah, um, I mean, so yeah, Phoenix, Arizona had I think 30 odd days above 43 degrees. Um, so yeah, um, that up in central Australia, we they, they do see. Um, do see some really long runs of hot, dry conditions, and that certainly would not be a surprise this year. Um, and, I, and I guess for Adelaide, the really some of the questions is, um, you know, how, how much heat will build up, how much of that will get dragged down over us, and it, but it does very much set up the situation for some possibly some quite severe heat waves um, towards the end of summer. Can I just raise the issue of extreme weather? Uh, events because we know that they are certainly happening a lot more as well. Sean from Ross Trevor asks on the text line if we're going to get any decent storms, thunder and lightning in the next few months, even without the rainfall. Um, so, once it, so I was looking at, um, at the likelihood of significant rain events this morning as well and it's pretty, there's not a lot going on in October, November. There's a little bit of something in the modelling in, in December, which is pretty typical um, with bursts, you know, you get bursts of tropical activity coming through on four to six week time frames. Um, so, you know, there's some, still some potential in there for some sun, thun, summer, th- uh, you know, sort of thundery, wet events. Um, 
but it's just that lack of moisture from the tropics, which um, means they, they, there's not likely to be a heap of rainfall out of them. So, so with conditions dry and thunder and, in particular, lightning, that comes back to the fire situations you were talking about. Mm. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah, a, a great question, but a little bit tricky. So, there, yes, there is some, some potential there for, for some thunder and lightning activity um, that could initiate fires. Um, and that, that's, re- that's related to that sort of, you know, Madden Jude oscillation, tropical activity that I've spoken about a bit before that comes on a roughly four to six-week time frame. And that means over summer you do typically get maybe two, maybe three goes at something like that happening. Well, the message is very, very clear. We're in for some very, very probably record hot conditions and extremely dry conditions. And I think the other important message to take on board right now is you're saying right now is the time to do something in terms of the mulching on the soil, in the soil, the shade, and we'll be talking to Sophie Thompson about that later on. But Mm. that's a very, very clear message. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I'm, I live up in the hills and, you know, for anyone in the foothills or up in the, living up in the hills like I do, um, yeah, you really want to start thinking about your fire plan, um, you know, doing some clearing and burning off while you still can over the next month or so, um, because things will transition very, very quickly. And, of course, you can find a lot of information on the CFS website. I'd encourage people to go to that. If you're at the Royal Adelaide Show, go and have a chat to them because they are here and have a lot of resources as well. So really important. Now, before we let you... Oh, yes, yeah, before we go, because uh, later on today... Is it today you're giving a lecture? Yes. Yes, so in the little horticultural, or not in the, the large horticultural uh, uh, stage, you'll be providing a lecture on the climate change, and it's not all doom and gloom. Well, well, no, it's, we're in this challenging situation with, situation with climate change. So, so I'm going to be extending, we've been talking here about the sort of, you know, six month ahead, a year ahead time frame. So this will be more about, okay, what, what are we seeing over the coming decades? Um, and it's you know, picking up on some of the things we've touched on, so the evolution of the sort of climate warming. So there is some really good stuff happening, and so I see a lot of doom around, um, you know, some denial of climate change and, and, a, and a bit of doom. Um, you know, I, I guess one of the messages is there's some really good stuff going on. Um, there's lots of, you know, renewable energy is getting really cheap, battery storage is getting cheap, there's lots of good stuff going on, but we are on a bit of a knife edge um, in terms where we really need to be doing things a lot more quickly because there's some climate change tipping points that are coming up pretty hard as well. So, okay, and what yeah. time is your lecture? Uh, 11.30. 11.30, 11.30 yes. in the stage on, on in, the main, the, in the main... In the, uh, main in the, in the Goida Pavilion, in, in the horticultural Pavilion. stage. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Darren, I have to say, we've got quite a, a great number of guests uh, watching the program at the moment. Welcome, lovely to have you here. How about a big hello for everybody at home? Hello, thank you. Now, one thing that happens to me all the time in radio is that people meet me and say, you don't look anything like you sound. What do you think of Darren Ray? Does he look anything <laughs> like you thought he would look? No, everybody is shaking their head. I knew that would be the case. Uh, look, Darren, it's always great to have you aboard. Thank you so much for your seasonal outlook for gardeners that you give us the first Saturday of every month. Thank you for joining us live here at the Royal Adelaide Show. 11.30, if you'd like to hear more from Darren on the horticultural stage in the Goida Pavilion. 
thank you so much for coming along. And I suspect that you're trying to have a cup of coffee, but uh, as you get off the stage, I suspect you might be besieged by people who would like to ask uh, you a question. Are you happy with that? Absolutely. So, yeah, right now, around <laughs> for five, ten minutes. Besiege away. Besiege away. <laughs> thank you. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's fantastic to be here. Thank, great to be with you both. Uh, thank and you. everyone in the audience. Thanks thank so much. Darren Ray, how about a round of applause, our wonderful independent climatologist. We've got some live questions here from the Royal Adelaide Show coming up in just a moment. Then we're going to catch up with the wonderful Sophie Thompson and find out what her cool garden is all about. Don from Tumby Bay, if you would like to grab yourself um, some gardening magazines, um, a big thank you for asking live, but we are going to take your question first. Some live talkback gardening here from the ABC stage in the Jubilee Pavilion of the Royal Adelaide Show. Welcome along. What would you like to ask John Lamb? John, uh, we've got some fairly hostile subsoils, alkaline, heavy limestone stuff, which is hard to grow veggies in. And you can put a lot of mulch, I suppose. Is that the only sort of way to kind of break down that heavy subsoil we've got? Or that soil just about comes to the surface anyway? Well, before we take a look at the subsoil, I could suggest that you can build up on top of it. Yeah. A, a raised garden bed is probably your solution where you can say, so long as there's good drainage, uh, I can put all this organic matter and good soil on. Are you looking to grow veggies or fruit trees or...? Tomatoes. Tomatoes, yeah. Um, certainly, I, I would be trying to build up the soil so that you've got at least maybe 10 centimetres of what I call good quality organic soil and uh, it, it certainly get as much compost and build that into the top 20 centimetres if you possibly can. Uh, in terms of uh, you want to change the pH or is it the hardness you're worried about? Uh, I don't know. I know I'm a farmer and uh uh, I know so the soils very, very well. Yeah, look. Yeah, um, change the pH, but... Yeah, talk to one of the agronomists from one of the big firms yeah. and, and just get a check on your pH and just make sure that you've got clay soils. I suspect you've got sort of a fair amount heavy of clay heavy clay soils. So the magic elixir for, not elixir, but chemical for you is gypsum. Yeah. Buy a big bag, of 30 a 30-kilogram bag of gypsum and yeah. put on a kilogram to the square metre. All the books will say half a kilogram, but I say one kilogram in your situation. You, I won't say you can't put on too much, but put on that, a kilogram now and in autumn put on another kilogram. Get the, your gypsum into the soil and that combined with organic matter getting good heaps and heaps of compost or presumably you've still got sheep. Still got what? You still got sheep? Sheep, yeah. Yeah, and okay. And I'll try gypsum in the paddock too. So oh, okay. Different trials, gypsum. Righto, I'll we'll get under the sheep shed and get as much of the old uh, little pellets as uh, they're as hard as hell, but uh, yeah. they are ma magic. Get those and dig those into the soil and they'll yeah. act as like slow release uh, fertilizers. And uh, just one quick question my wife would like to know how to get rid of weeds in lawn. Ah, oh, yes. How much time have you got, Don? Yeah, right. uh, okay, <laughs> I'm assuming you've got a grass lawn, cuckoo, buffalo, or something like that. And most of the weeds that have come up are broadleaf weeds, and you just need a standard broadleaf weedicide. It'll contain MCPA, MCPA, and, and probably, oh, yeah, of course you will, and, and bromoxynol. But if you spray now, um, the weeds are, they're coming up. And, uh, but they're still immature 
and they are very, very susceptible to a herbicide now. So out there, give them a good spray with MCPA and you should have a lovely lawn. Thank well, you, John. Yeah, once the weeds die down, uh, just a good fertiliser too, I think, would follow that up with a good fertiliser. Um, Thanks, Don. Thank you very much. Yeah, really thanks. appreciate it. Marlene yeah. from... Uh, no, Pen Penelope from Tananda, sorry. We've got a tulip question. Welcome. Good morning, Deb and John. Um, I've planted some tulips for the first time this year, and to my surprise, they flowered. Um, what's, uh, what do I do next? Fertilise? Do I have to lift them and then put them in the freezer or ah. fridge for... Next year, right? Oh well, we don't want to have too much uh, uh, to do. But uh, are they flowering at the moment? Yes. And they're looking good. They're beautiful. And got lots of leaves on them. Uh, getting that way. Right. Oh, look after the leaves. Enjoy the flowers, but look after the leaves. So now's the time to give them a foliar fertilizer. Now I say foliar and not liquid. Liquid fertiliser is okay, it'll go into the soil, it's got to be taken up by the roots. A foliar fertiliser, if you spray it on the leaves, goes into the leaves and what you've got to do is get a lot of energy into the bulb and the energy will be taken down into the bulb and it'll only happen so long as you've got lots of leaves. Now we get hot weather and the hot weather will want to dry up the leaves. So make sure the soil is nice and moist and you've got the foliar fertiliser on there. You enjoy the flowers, look after the leaves and you'll have lovely flowers next year. Now in terms of, uh, if you, where are you, in a wet soil? or uh, Whereabouts? Uh, oh, yeah, okay, right. Um, some people leave them in the ground, and if you're not going to have other things growing around them, you could leave them in the ground, but if you've got other plants there, you're going to water them, and the bulbs won't like that. So dig them up, and, uh, yeah, if you've got the time and can be bothered, I reckon about six weeks before you reckon you're going to plant them, you put them in the crisper of the section, of the fridge. You should have the best tulips in Tananda. There you go. Fabulous. Thank Thanks you, so much, Penelope. Appreciate that. You're with Deb Tribe and John Lamb, live from the Royal Adelaide Show on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. We are broadcasting live from the ABC stage at the Jubilee Pavilion of the Royal Adelaide Show. And isn't it the hectic behind the scenes? <laughs> it is crazy. The people who are sitting here watching have got an idea that we are the ducks when you hear us. But when you actually come and see it, you see the legs moving a lot. So <laughs> thank you very much for coming here. Let's have a huge welcome for ABC TV's Gardening Australia presenter, Sophie Thompson, Sunday Talkback Gardener. Thank, you. thank with, you. With Peter Gers, of course. You can catch her then. Now, Sophie, we've had Habitat. We've had Grow Up. We've had Buzz and we've had Balance, some of mm -hmm. your wonderful past feature gardens here at the Royal Adelaide Show. But this year... It's cool. It is, and it's meant to be a play on words. Not only cool, as in not hot, because obviously every garden is cooler than if you don't have a garden, but it's also about cool, trendy, hip. You know, gardening's the new black, and we see all the younger people coming to gardening, whether it's for indoor plants or produce or uh, biodiversity or habitat. So it's meant to be a play on words. Well, it's very important, as we just heard from Darren Ray, our climatologist, mm. we need to be looking at how to use our gardens to cool, don't we? Absolutely. And I'm, uh, the Royal Show gives me an opportunity to demonstrate a concept that I'm particularly passionate about at the time. And there's so many, right? So we've got the um, urban heat island effect. 
effect, right? It's concerning governments around the world. It's concerning people in Germany. They're worried about the urban heat island effect. Can I tell you, in Australia, we need to be worried about the urban heat island effect. The more infill, the more hard surfaces in cities, they basically make our cities hotter. What do we do? You put the air conditioning on, that pumps out hot air. We're not thinking it through. So the solution? The solution is to grow plants. Trees right? in particular? Trees for shade. If you are renting, you can still do it with pergolas and cover them with vines or, or quick-growing vegetables. It's about greening and thinking through our choices. But it's also it's also covering things like um, food security. You know, whatever your space, even if it's a balcony or courtyard, you can grow part of your own fruits, veggies and herbs. And um, it's thinking through the lack of urban habitat. The biggest threat to wildlife in our cities is a lack of urban habitat. So, you know, even if you just planted your verge, you could create a habitat corridor as they've done along the western suburbs along um, Croydon you know with the Rosetta Street Greening Group so it's working on all the different levels and I've come up with as part of this um, a five-star garden rating system and I would love it if people would actually think through the five stars in, and you can of course get the brochures and for people not coming to the show you can download it off my website but the five um, things that I think we should be thinking through about our gardens is it cool is it livable? Many gardens are really harsh and they're not comfortable places. You know, is it livable? If it's going to be a heat wave, if you've got a beautiful deciduous tree, you can actually sit under that tree and the temperature will be delightful. You don't have to have the air conditioning on. Um, is it a habitat haven? Is it a place for birds, bees, butterflies? Um, is it sustainable? So, you know, is it not only sustainable in terms of... Um, uh, I guess I guess products we use. So things like the black pebbles in my auntie garden, they are if they come in a bag. Pebbles if they come in a bag are mined from active waterways in third world countries, right? So they might look good in your backyard, but what did they do to someone else's? And then the last one is it productive? And so I think if we could think about in terms of our own gardens, you know, how do we rate on the five-star rating system? We have five-star for hotels. We have five-star for energy-efficient um, washing machines, you know. So how do we rate in terms of gardens? Sophie Thompson for, not, not often for that Prime I can, Minister, I'd say. <laughs> not often that I can out-talk someone. And John Lamb, who can talk really well, I managed to talk so quickly, he couldn't get a word in. But that's all right. No, no, I'm listening. I'm learning. But I'll play the devil's advocate. You've got a lovely display there and you've got all your, th your little dots there and the last one is, is, is it productive? Is there still a place for a lawn? Absolutely, absolutely. I, you know, thought, limited... I, th I thought you might go in for sort of these nice little plastic lawns. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyone that knows me knows that that's my favourite topic in terms of bagging something is fake turf. And um, I've got, I've, you know, I've got my infrared thermometer down here. I have measured, you know, on a 35 degree day, you can have 66 degrees on fake turf. Now, let's not, if you don't want a lawn, don't have a lawn, right? But if you want a limited area of you know, lawn, it will keep your property cooler. And can I say, if ever you are stressed, just take your shoes off and sit on yes. the lawn or lie on the lawn. You know, it's called ground... We, we talk about gardeners being grounded and down to earth. We say that about farmers too. It's about our connection and calming down and you don't get that same effect on plastic turf. So while I have... This year I've decided to not only show what I want... <laughs> 
to show what I don't like, and, and it, I'm going to bag it. And you can't see it on uh, if you're listening to us, but we can see it here. We've got this beautiful display. You, your guide is always wonderful, um, and it's all green and colourful and gorgeous. And then on the back, it's very punk. It's black. <laughs> it's got crosses. It looks dark as, and that is the anti-garden. It so, is the anti-garden, and this is uncool. So the back side of my display is uncool. It is... Um, in response to all the black roofs I see everywhere, the monument grey fencing everywhere, someone said, oh, but it makes my plants pop. Well, this summer it's going to make your plants frizzle, right? <laughs> they're going to pop. It's like they're, they're crisp. And it, it features the black pebbles. It features black paving. It features synthetic turf. And it features my... Um, and monument grey everywhere. And it features my least favourite plant, which is the yucca. Okay, mm. so let me again be the devil's advocate. <laughs> I love this. You <laughs> have your passions, and you're very passionate and brilliant. And I would say here, here to all of them. My passion, of course, is the future mm. with daylight, uh, uh, daylight uh, with climate change happening. Mm. What Darren uh, Ray is saying is, are we able to adapt? Yeah. Now, now my hobby horse is our saviour will be shade cloth. Or shade. Shade. And, uh, okay. <laughs> and, and certainly the, we need to have organic matter in the soil, mm -hmm. on the soil, mm -hmm. mulch. We've got mm -hmm. to have water. And if a mm -hmm. plant, you've got a healthy plant with a healthy root system, it will survive. It would have survived in the past, but not with temperatures. Now, on Monday, you and I are involved in a lecture here, mm -hmm. and that's going to be my theme. And I'm going to take you to the temperatures, the critical temperature yep. of 40 degrees. At 40 degrees, the little tips, hair tips on your plants will die. Mm. And if with using organic matter on the soil, in yep. the soil, yep. and, and if you just have that, your plants won't survive a, a, a heat wave. Yep. But by putting shade on, and I'm saying shade cloth, 50% mm. shade cloth, but uh, so the, I've had my little say. You so, have... so I do use 50% uh, shade cloth in my veggie garden on some areas for, for certainly leafy greens and wicking beds and all that sort of thing. But one of my passionate things is let's think about our houses, right? How do we survive? Most people survive by turning the air conditioning on, right? Now, you know, can we afford that as the cost of everything goes through the roof? Heat is the number one natural killer of Australians. Let's not forget that. And it's because often, you know, the um, uh, lower socioeconomic areas might be able to afford the air conditioning. If you're renting, you mightn't have that available to you. So we can use plants. Um, so I'm passionate <laughs> about using veggies um, on mesh, John. So I use vegetables. I call them vertical veggies, and you can find out about them on my uh, website. Quick-growing veggies that we can plant in October, November. And if you had a bit of Rio mesh, which you can get out of a skip bin at a... Um, development or a building site or you can buy, you can grow veggies up which will cast shade right, so they could be over arches, they could be on a mesh to keep your house cooler so how can we use plants to keep your house cooler and make it more livable and I've got, I've shown that if we grow veggies up, it's you know, say if you've got a, um, uh, a tin shed, the temperature on the tin shed on, say, a 
30 degree day will be about 45 degrees, right? If you just had a piece of Rio mesh and a trombancino, which is a zucchini, there's lots of them over there, it'll last for 12 months, right? So you can eat zucchinis all year round. I store them for 12 months. Um, you could have trombancinos growing up and the temperature on that wall where the trombancinos shade it is 15 degrees on a 40 degree day, right? 35 to 40 degree day. So not only can we use shade cloth, we could grow veggies over archways, over walls, over structures to create that shade. So yeah, shade yeah. is essential. And I think that's brilliant. I mean, the easy way out is to just use shade cloth. Yep. It'll do what you want. But what you're doing, I think, is environmentally acceptable. And yep. for those that have, can understand the message, I think that's a brilliant way of using the environment to be able to manipulate and adapt yep. Uh, uh, use the environment so to adapt to a, a changing climate and we have to and one of the you know we're hearing things about climate change we're hearing about deforestation we're hearing about El Nino and um, uh, you know food crisis right so these are all terms that make us panic now as gardeners I would just say let's not panic Let's just um, invest in our gardens. Invest by putting organic matter in the soil. Like, let's actually, you know, look after our plants um, and then, you know, we don't have to panic. We can actually adapt to it. I do use shade cloth. I've measured temp... So my infrared thermometer is my fa favourite gadget. It lives in my handbag. <laughs> when you go through the security at the airport, I always get a strange look because it looks like a gun's going through the X-ray machine. But anyway, so it... it um, under shade cloth, you get about 22 degrees, 15 degrees cooler. But under veggies, it's cooler again. And I need to stop talking. No, look, no, no, I, no, I, I, no, no. Is there anything better than hearing two passionate gardeners talking to each other? It is fantastic. Sophie, um, on the, the feedback that's coming through on the text line, I'm reading it as yep. you are talking, is uh, I think a lot of people are in agreement, but they're saying, why aren't local government councils, why isn't the government on board in terms of planning regulations? And I have to say... I drove past one of my favourite parks in the western suburbs where I live, which used to be all green and all trees, and I noticed that they've reclaimed pockets of concrete back to put things on it, and I was quite frankly amazed. Yeah. So, so how it, do we get the message through to the higher up? Okay, I was at a fabulous talk a week ago for the Royal Geographic Society on the urbanisation of the Adelaide Hills and it was full of planners and all sorts of things. It is actually not at the local council level. We need change at the, at the, the government level That's right. because one yes. of the planners even said, I see applications come across my desk and I get a heavy feeling in mm. my heart because I have to approve it because they've taken the council's um, power of veto away and so we need change to planning laws to make sure that it doesn't happen. Yes. Well, Sophie Thompson, it's always a pleasure to hear from you and it's fantastic to see you in the flesh. Cool, every garden can make a difference. Sophie's Patch Feature Garden in the Goiter Pavilion. Go catch it. Both John and Sophie will be doing a talk on Monday at 1 o'clock, is it? 1 o'clock. On the Goiter Pavilion. Yep. Yep. I hope be, you know. <laughs> you, I, be, I just follow. You'll be joining Sonia Feldhoff on this stage, I understand, we will at 2 o'clock. Yep. So come along and see them then. Thank you so much, Sophie, and congratulations on Cool and uncool <laughs> as well. Big round of applause for Sophie Thompson, presenter on ABC TV's Gardening Australia for I think 15 years now and Sunday talkback gardening presenter here on ABC.
ABC. How lucky are we on the ABC to have these two as our two talkback gardening wonders? Now, John, we've got a couple of live questions here before we catch up with Matt Coulter, our head propagator uh, at the Adelaide Botanic Gardens. I think Marlene from Clare is here now. Marlene, you've been given a rose as a gift. What a thoughtful gift. It was a very lovely gift from my husband. He gave it to me for my birthday back in June. And we went, well, now it's not... We felt wasn't the time to put it in the in the garden. Yes. So it's been it's got a plastic it's plastic wrapped root system and it's started to come into leaf and we thought maybe this weekend might be the time to plant it. I think that would be it. Get it in as quickly as you possibly can. But before you put it in the ground, grab a bucket, a ten litre bucket, fill it full of water. Or how, how tall is the rose? It is. <laughs> have, yeah, about that. Have, have it's it, about, about lifted up by the stem. A metre and a half. About a metre well, and a half. I was going to say, uh, have you got a nice bath inside? But uh, no. what I'm going to suggest is <laughs> what you've got to do is dunk not just the root system but also uh, the rest of the rose in water. Uh, so if you've got a, a laundry or something like that, that would uh, actually, uh, you might have a, a laundry trough or something like that. But anyway, get, get the biggest bucket you possibly can, yeah. put some seaweed material in there, one of the seaweed uh, extracts, and let it soak there for about an hour before okay. you plant. Um, and what that's doing, it just allows uh, uh, getting as much moisture into the plant. Uh, it's not growing at that stage, but some of the moisture is going in there. And so um, spend plenty of time preparing the soil. I presume you, you know where it's going to go. Lots of organic matter in the soil. Get the soil nice and moist. Yes. And uh, do your planting probably tomorrow. It might be a little bit cooler than today. Or mightn't be. You know, get it into the ground. Yes. Probably the most important thing you can do is to shade it for the first well, first two or three days. Okay. Because when you put it in, the root system's not active, and so it's got to get moisture and stay moist. The leaves have got to stay moist. And if you leave it in the sun, uh, the leaves will just uh, transpire and, and you, it'll droop. Okay. Whereas if you can, even if you just get an old sheet and hose it down, or put the sheet over it and hose it down uh, for a couple of days, that again just gives the root system an opportunity just to sort of re-establish. And then uh, uh, I'd be keeping the, the sun off it uh, for the first week. Okay. Shade it. Uh, but don't don't leave the sheet sheet on for more than a day or two okay. days. Uh, but and so if you do that, uh, uh, you might have to uh, uh, trim back the leaves too. If you've got uh, the new branches and there's new growth there, okay. uh, I'd be taking out just the tips and the first set of leaves. You want as many leaves in onto the plant as possible so that they'll react with the root system. But if you do that, I think you should get going. Lovely. Could I just ask? Uh, uh, we've got the curator of the Botanic Garden sitting next to me. Matt Coulter, <laughs> Matt welcome Coulter. to the program. Great to have you along. Good morning. I mean, you're faced with this problem all the time. How would you go with that? Yeah, I think it's really good advice, John. When we're doing anything, trying to lessen the distress of the plants is always a great thing. So when we go from one environment to another environment, if the stress is great, the plant's going to be under a lot more stress. Yes. So your idea of like you know dunking in water and putting sheets over is a great idea because it lowers that stress level. Yes. So the lower the stress level, the more successful that 
that kind of thing will be for definitely. Yes, OK. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Thank Marlene. Very much. <laughs> Lovely to get advice right from the top there from Matt Coulter <laughs> as well as John Lamb. Can we quickly squeeze in Jessica from Taparoo? Now, you want to plant fruit trees with your orange tree. You're looking for some companion productive plants? Yeah, that's it. We've got, uh, we're hoping to do a dwarf uh, tree sort of orchard. So we're looking at so either a Washington Naval or Valencia dwarf, and we want to know some good companions to go with it. The, the weirder, the better. Oh. Ah, so you want weird companion plants to go with an orange tree or orange orchard? Yeah, yeah. Productive plants. Productive plants to, to yeah, go with oranges? Yeah. Oh goodness gracious me! Um, the weirder, the better. Is the, the, the weirder, the better. <laughs> I'd be going for uh, figs. Figs, cool. Persimmon. Persimmon, fantastic. Meddlers, have I heard mm. of a meddler? I haven't, no. No, well, have a really... <laughs> They're not the most uh, edible type of a plant. <laughs> They're a bit of an oddity. Uh, but certainly uh, uh, pomegranates, oh. I think, would be uh, very, very good to grow. Yeah, and so uh, if you take a look at the things which are uh, uh, Mediterranean, mm. uh, they'll grow um, well with your citrus. And I think a fig, an olive... Um, Pomegranate would be three that might go well. Fantastic. Jessica, that gives you food for thought. Would you like a second opinion? No, I think the pomegranate is a great plant Mm. for South Australia and you can get dwarf varieties of them as well. And even they're a beautiful, great little plant, very productive, but definitely for a South Australian climate, they're an excellent plant to use. So I would definitely go for the pomegranate. It used to be the case that there would be one in every backyard in Mm. Adelaide, just Mm. about. And in fact, you'd have so many pomegranate fruit as a child. I remember you'd absolutely be covered Mm. in that pink. (laughs) And now you buy them at the market. Mm. They are so expensive. So plant a pomegranate. I reckon that's a great idea. Good idea. Matt Coulter is with us from the Adelaide Botanic Gardens. The Adelaide Botanic Gardens dropped out for a while of doing displays here. That's w- correct. When was the last full display, Matt? Oh, it's more than 25 years ago now. <gasps> yeah. So it's been a quarter of a century and you're back. We're back, yeah. Hooray! No, yeah, and it's, I think um, it's doing it this year has been a real um, real excitement for us. So I think it's it's got a real wow factor. I don't know if people have seen it yet or not, but, yeah, we've been nurturing these plants for the last four to six months to have them looking perfect. And I think, yeah, they're looking great. I mean, what we're doing is we're representing the three gardens. So a lot of people probably know about the Adelaide Botanic Gardens. We've also got a fantastic um, Hills Gardens. And then we've got Watunga Botanic Gardens, which is um, showcasing a lot of natives and South African flora. So, yeah, we've got a... Having those three gardens is is great. And one of the great things about these three gardens, they're all so close to each other. They're only 15 minutes away. So if you go to um, other states like, say, um, New South Wales or Victoria, they have satellite gardens that are like an hour, an hour and a half away. So it's great that these gardens are only 15 minutes away and we've got plants in there representing all, all the three gardens. So we've got different collections right across these three gardens. And, yeah, it's, it's been really exciting for us to be involved again this year. If you ask somebody uh, to give you an impression of a botanic garden, and they'll say, oh, it's nice and green, uh, lots and lots of trees and shrubs and probably lawns, and they don't associate too much with colour. Yet colour is a, a major part of your display here, yes. and there's a reason why that colour is there. Tell us about the colour that's in those three gardens. Yeah, so it's, it's been a thing we've started to implement over the last two to three years. So previous to that, 
20, 30 years ago we used to have a lot of colour and then it sort of dropped off for a while. But we're actually trying to bring that colour back. So when people come to the gardens, they're not seeing the same thing. So we're actually um, changing things over. We've got um, um, de decorative pots, we're putting flowers in, so we're changing those seasonally. We're also um, we're having those displays in the Mount Lofty Botanic Garden. We've got a, a spe specific display garden. We have four crops a year. And we've got the vegetable crop in the moment, which we'll probably be bringing out in the next two weeks, and then we're going to be planting our spring meadow crop. So one of the things we do in the nursery is to plan 12 months in advance, so when one crop goes out, one goes in all ready to go. And um, over the last two years, we actually have, have had a sunflower field as well. So 1,500 sunflowers, all in flower, you know, just... And it seems to have been the most popular part of the garden. So it's really having these um, floral displays is actually bringing people back to the gardens that may not... Have, been for quite a while so we found that people have been coming back and seeing the same thing the trees and, and which you mentioned before which is the backbone of the garden yes but to have this color is really exciting for us actually to change things over seasonally we've been talking quite a lot about climate change and the fact that it's going to be hotter and drier now you're the head curator at the Adelaide Botanic Gardens you have a big say in what are the kind of plants that you are growing mm -hmm. and obviously you've got to grow replacements yes. but presumably you sit down and think about what's going to happen over the next 20 or 30 years as it gets hotter and drier so what is your philosophy and what's your thoughts about uh, changing that what you grow now for, for for what's going to happen in the future. So one of the things we've implemented both in the, the Adelaide Gardens and with Tunga is actually planting ephemeral annuals. So like the paper days, and you'll see some of those in our um, display, and that was one of the big things I brought in is actually the grow. You germinate these things in autumn, grow through winter, and they flower in spring, and when the hot weather comes, they're basically finished. So, um, and... In, in the Adelaide Botanic Gardens at the moment, we've got fields of them in flower, and they look just quite amazing. So we definitely have to look at the things that have um, that require lower water use, and they're actually flowering at times of the year when it's not extreme. So, um, but you definitely. Last year, I went to Kings Park Botanic Gardens and looked at some of the the native floral displays there and their native wildflowers. So we're trying to implement something like that on a bit of a smaller scale. But the last two years, it's been one of our most successful programs. And it's, yeah, and with the, we've got the Nature Festival starting in um, uh, the, very soon. And Botanic Gardens is part of that. We have some workshops. But yeah, having these native paper daisies in, in full flower is, is, is a great thing. Have we got to the stage where we realise we are Australia, we have an Australian climate? and our climate is uh, wet during winter. Um, and so uh, isn't it interesting how you go in the bush and there's all these lovely flowers out there mm. in the bush because they've figured out that's when they get their mo moisture. Um, uh, the concept of, of translating the reality of what's happening in the bush to the landscapes, the gardens we're growing, uh, are we taking on board enough uh, the fact that we should be uh, thinking about the climate start and adapting our garden to the climate. Definitely, that's what one of the things that Botanic Gardens try to do, like trialling these new things. So, and then once we trial them, we can actually give this information out, out to the public. But you're definitely right there. We're trying to maximise the flowering period when it's not as extreme. And then when we have these hot weathers, we're looking at, you know, and enjoying the trees that we can, you know, we can sit under when, it, when it's really, really hot. So what we're trying to do is to maximise those times of the year. So like you said, sort of autumn through to winter and into early spring and to have some really fantastic things um, growing and flowering at that time. 
And yeah, it's definitely, if we can look at what happens in nature, we're trying to replicate that. So one of the great things about botanic gardens is that, you know, we do trial things all the time. And um, within the botanic gardens, you know, different people see it as diff different things. So like, it's a scientific based institution, but other people want to come to a botanic garden to see what they can do in their own garden. So yeah, so um, that's what we're trying to implement the last few years and, and to move forward with that, to trial new things so we can give the, that information to the public. Not always everything's going to be successful, but that's one of the roles of botanic gardens. Well, thank you for your concepts, and I look forward to continuing our discussions, particularly our regular discussions on how to propagate yep. plants for the garden. <laughs> no, it's my pleasure. <laughs> Big round of applause for the man that brings us the beautiful plants at the Adelaide Botanic Gardens, Matt Coulter. I never get your title right. I call you head propagator. That, that'll do, he says, the curator of the Adelaide Botanic Gardens. Look, it's just been so lovely seeing everybody here. I can see the wonderful Costa Georgiatis across the crowd, sending in my love. He'll be joining us on the ABC stage at 10 o'clock, so I hope you can stay and join us there. If you're on your way in, please come and say hello. John, you've got a, got a lot to go and look at right now, haven't you? I, I don't know where to... Where, oh, I'm not too sure where to start, but I think I'll take my cup of coffee with me and walk round slowly. The interesting thing, of course, is you, you can't get very far fast because all the people that you haven't seen for 12 months, there they are, and you want to see what's going on and how they're adapting to climate change. But anyway, I think uh, it's a wonderful show. Come and see, come and enjoy, and I'll say until next Saturday when we're still down here at the show, good garden. Good